Overworked, a podcast. Bold storytelling. Balanced lives. Brighter futures. Welcome to Overworked. I'm Mosmi with Challen, Caitlin, and Jill. Today, we are talking about women, money, and the gender, pay, and wealth gap. Women's relationship with money is so complicated. I feel like the gender difference is even perpetuated in the media. How many of us remember Carrie's fascination with Manolo Blahnik's in Sex and the City instead of Mr. Big's investments, right? We never heard about Carrie's saving for her 401k. And the facts on this topic are quite amazing. Um, MetLife actually said that most women are not even able to pay an emergency expense of a mere $400. With COVID and so many women having to leave the workplace, the gap is only getting wider and it's a big cause of concern. The reality is that there's a lot of systemic issues that cause these gaps. We've talked about this before, but the pandemic has really shed a bright light on just how much unpaid weight women carry in their households in the form of domestic work, childcare, family care, and the general home management. Add to that the fact that women make much less than men, approximately 82 cents the dollar for women, um, for white women, and then even less for women of color. The picture is really bleak. So if women make less, save less, but live longer, how are we managing? According to Heather McCullough piece um, in Closing the Wealth Gap, women own 32 cents to the dollar compared to men. And this is a really important stat because wealth is different than your income. It's the store of resources you can use for that emergency fund, you can use to buy a home, you can use for retirement, um, and often it can be passed down to the next generation. So 32 cents to the dollar, one that's not acceptable, and it's really scary. Yeah, Moss, reading some of these statistics is a little bit unnerving, um, but that is why we're here today. We're going to talk through um, how to educate women on how to save, how to make their dollar go farther, and how to make smart financial decisions. It's why we're speaking with Carolyn Leonard today. Carolyn is co-founder and CEO of Diamond, a boutique financial empowerment firm designed to help women heal and transform their emotional relationship with money. And that speaks volumes to me, um, particularly because I come from a blue-collar family that probably never had more than $400 in savings. And now you know, being able to buy a house and um, save for my baby's college fund and all of those things that were really, really important to me. And Carolyn had some really great um, advice for me a year ago when I reached out to her to say, where do I start? So I'm very excited to have her here. She was the second woman in the U.S. and the first woman in Chicago to trade in the pits with her own money at the Chicago Board of Options Exchange in 1976. So She's a wealth of knowledge. Um, I'm very excited to chat with her. But first, I wanted to connect with you, Moss, on a few things that I know we've talked about before. Um, but I know I've always tried, you know, even when I was younger and had was making like $30,000 a year, which is a joke. Um, but I always tried to put money in my 401k just and at the time it was just you know, part of your benefits package, you were enrolling. So you're like, oh, I guess I better do that. But I didn't really have any rhyme or reason to what I was putting in there or what investments I was, or what funds I was focused on. Um, I re- To this day, I still am not very great at it. Let's be real. Um, but that's really an entry point for investing. Um, and there's just not a lot of education around it. Um, 
And the other thing is kind of prepping and for an emergency fund. You know, we talked about $400. That's so little. That's not even going to cover an AC repair, which I know is <laughs> near to you. One of the things I'm doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but Moss, I know you've talked recently about how you've started investing and how you've talked with your dad about it. Um, how do you decide what platform to use, what to invest in, where to get started? You know, um, I'm really, really lucky. Um, I am the child of immigrant parents. Um, however, my father is a chemical engineer, which means he, he's extremely practical. And my mom um, is a psychologist and had her own private practice. Um, so, you know, growing up, I'd ask my dad for 20 bucks to go to the mall and he would just give it to me. Then I got to college and rang up my credit cards because I, I really didn't understand the value of money. And instead of getting mad, you know, my parents sat me down and they're like, okay, let's, let's make a budget for you. Like, how much do you need to eat in the college? You know, how much do you want to go shopping with? Because they knew I was going to go shopping regardless. Right. <laughs> and then even things like, um, they were like, why are you going to Starbucks so much? You don't even drink coffee. And I was like, oh, I, I buy a $4 hot chocolate. And they were like, okay, maybe that's an expense you don't need to do right now. So I feel like my education kind of started at 18. And when I did graduate, my dad sat me down and was like, no matter what you do, there are two things that are really important. And one was to contribute whatever I could into my 401k. Um, he always told me to do the max, but you know, there were years I could not, right? So I did whatever I could. And then the other thing he said is right when you get your paycheck, cut some of that money and put it directly into savings. And that you should always have at least six months saved. So God forbid something happens, you can pay your mortgage or your rent or whatever. So I kind of grew up with those ideals. Um, and it was really just, so I've always done that. And thankfully, you know, I, I own my own condo and, you know, I've made the right business decisions. I have a great savings account. The other thing um, that I got into recently, you know, just this year was the stock market, given its volatility. Um, and Carolyn, I'm excited to hear what you say about this. But um, when all the stocks were, you know, down last summer, um, I took a little bit of money and literally sat down with my dad and had a lesson. And I just use E-Trade, but I literally took notes as he showed me what to use and how to read the stock reports and things like that. And Again, I'm no aficionado and I started small just in case I lost all that money. I wouldn't, you know, be terrified. Um, but it's something now I felt more comfortable with um, being able to put in more. And, you know, we've talked about mentorship and I'm really lucky to have my father as my mentor in terms of financial matters. But I know a lot of women don't have that. So I've, I've been just really lucky. Yeah, that actually, I did something similar just because I was really curious. I've never, I, I used Charles Schwab because one of my first internships, my first internship actually was with a financial consulting firm and they just preached how great Schwab was. So I went with it <laughs> um, and it has a brokerage account that I can do some trading with and I've never used it until last year when everything was so low. And I'm like, well, uh, when am I going to be able to buy United at this price? When am I going to be able to buy Peloton when Peloton wasn't even skyrocketing yet? Um, so I just went with actually a tip from Carolyn. So I'll introduce you in just a second. But she said, and I'm sure you remember this, Carolyn, 
we were like, what if instead of buying that $300 iPod, you invested $300 into Apple? And so last year when all of the stocks were low, I was like, actually, that is so true. These are brands that I really align with. I did United. I did Twitter because there was some discussion about them starting a subscription service, which I thought would be really cool. Um, I did Boeing, you know, just some travel companies were really low at that point. So I was like, okay, I can get in low. (laughs) But anyway, Moss, yeah, I did the same thing. I just kind of like just a handful of shares, nothing crazy. Um, But I was like, I need to get a little experience and more comfortable with this platform. So with that, Carolyn, um, I am so excited that you're here today. Um, I That one piece of, of advice that you gave me has already paid dividends, literally. Um, <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, but I'd love for you to briefly introduce yourself. Give us your story. I know you have such an interesting background. I'd love for our audience to hear it. I'm Carolyn Leonard. I'm Carolyn Jean, the financial maximizer. And uh, similar to you, ladies, uh, finance for me uh, has been a journey. Uh, And I can't tell you, Moss, how happy I am that your dad has taken the interest he has because getting started young is the greatest advantage to building wealth because we know how money works in compounding. Now, Einstein said that compound interest is man's greatest invention. And so the younger you are, the more time works in your favor. So I'm always for women starting with small amounts, gaining some confidence and building up a stock portfolio. Um, that, that is the root one of the roots to building wealth. Now, my story starts out very differently because I I became an option trader out of my first marriage, which was a very bad marriage. And I had two young children. I was married for 12 years to an extremely successful guy. And we had a black card lifestyle, private planes, boats, big houses. I had all the amenities that a young woman would think and aspire to have. And I had the emptiest, loneliest life that I could possibly have. So I looked at myself one day and I said, you are worth so much more as an individual and you have so much more inside you, you have to leave this marriage. So I filed for divorce and I my, my first husband was a litigator with one of the biggest law firms in the country. So I knew ahead of time, I was not gonna walk out with a plush settlement. I was gonna walk out with the clothes on my back and cause I had two young children, I wanted them in tow. And also the only thing I wanted was to stay in my house. So uh, I lived in a neighborhood that was very affluent with dumb men making a lot of money. And they were making it in the pits of the Chicago Board of Trade. They were soybean traders. And believe me, these guys were about as smart as a bag of soybeans. So I figured if these idiots could live in my neighborhood, make that kind of money, their wives were driving bigger Mercedes than mine, that I could do it. My only problem was I didn't have money, but I did have a mother who, and this was in 1976. If you'll think back, 1974, Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought for women to get the right to have credit in their own name. And cleverly, she did it through getting a man who was a stay-at-home 
dad to get credit in his name. So as a result of not being at a woman's issue, but being a human issue, women got the right to credit. But my mother, because my mother was an investor in real estate, my grandparents came to this country, bought apartment buildings, because as immigrants, everybody has a place to live. And there's only so much land on the earth. So they bought apartment buildings. Well, my mother as a young woman managed the apartment buildings, she also continued to buy investment real estate. So my mother paid off mortgages, not because the banks were happy to give her a mortgage, but because she put up a piece of property that was fully paid for as collateral plus a down payment to get a mortgage on another piece of property. And that's how she bought apartment buildings. So she had credit in her name. So in 1976, when I decided I'm going to become a trader at the Chicago Board of Options Exchange with my mother in tow. Now, I'm the mother of two children. I'm a grown ass woman, but my mama has to go sign my note to buy me a seat. So my mother takes me to the bank. She signs the note. And and this is after going through SEC exams and filings and all sorts of paperwork. And I am now uh, the proud seat owner. I have SEC approval. I have a broker dealer. I am going to become the first woman standing in those pits trading all day long with the boys. Well, that was my mistake thinking it was with the boys. Uh Uh-uh. It was the boys against me. (laughs) They saw me and it was like, oh, this is no place for a woman. Let's get rid of her. (laughs) Now, I started trading uh, with a quarter of a million dollars worth of debt in 1976. In today's dollars, that's over 1.1 million. And that was my seat, the mortgage on my house to my ex-husband. My mother loaned me money for my trading account. My ex-husband took the title of my paid for Mercedes and got a car loan. So all of a sudden, here I am thinking that I'm going to come down, I'm going to trade, I'm not going to have a problem. Well, I had a problem. The guys wouldn't allow me in on trades and because it was open outcry, they were very deaf to a woman's voice. So I said to myself, okay, you listen, if you could divorce that first asshole in your life, <laughs> you can figure your way around these boys. You have experience dealing with us. So I decided that if being a woman was a real problem, that I was going to be a very, very feminine woman and that I wasn't there to be a guy, to compete like a guy. I was I was coming in as a woman and I was going to make my mark as a woman. So I wore three to four inch steel heel stilettos. I dressed in incredibly beautiful clothes because I had married a guy that I was his little Barbie doll. And so I had all these fabulous clothes. And what I found out was that a lot of guys that weren't in my pit and weren't interested in getting me out of the business, but were men that looked at me and said, wow, that that woman has in their vernacular, balls. Uh, I, however, think ovaries are far more powerful. Uh, (laughs) But but I was willing to take it. But these guys figured, I'm going to give her a chance. And they had business. They had paper. They were brokers. And I needed to deal uh, trade with brokers. So these guys 
liked me and they liked the way my gumption and my grit and they started trading with me. And so even when the guys complained that I wasn't first, they'd say, I heard her first and they had my back. And I built up a coterie of guys that decided that they were going to have my back. And it took me about four months of making money, losing money, making a little money, losing a little money, building up relationships with people that would trade with me. And then uh, in one day in um, April, uh, 1977, uh, I, uh, I was trading 3M with two other gentlemen. And there was an imbalance of order to buy 3M stock. And what had happened is one of the uh, country's biggest analysts said, if you're going to own one stock for the rest of the 20th century, it's 3M. So... On this morning, when I came into the pit, there was nothing but buy orders and the exchange was down there because there were only three of us trading it. And there was just thousands and thousands of buy orders of options. So uh, the guys that were, there were two guys that allowed me to trade it with it, look, 3M with them, looked at me and they said, are, are you in? Are you gonna take down the paper with us? And I said, absolutely. Cause I knew I would never get another opportunity. So on the opening, 3M on the Friday closed at $45. It opened at $52 on that Monday. And we had thousands and thousands of orders to buy 3M options. And so the brokers that wouldn't trade with me and the men that wouldn't trade with me were told by these two men, either you trade with, and this is a quote, the fucking broad, or we're not trading with you. And they all said, oh, not a problem. Happy to trade with her. So every order got divided three ways. And at the end of the trading day, having traded tens of thousands of options and my pink trading jacket bulging with trading cards, I had quintupled my trading account in one day. I love that. But because I had stood up with the boys, all the men that wouldn't trade with me now broke the boycott. So everybody was very happy to include me in whatever I wanted. So I knew now I was in business. The fortunate thing about 3M and why I love this stock and will never buy any other product. If 3M sells it, I'm buying it. I don't care. It can be five times more than anything. But at the end of the month, in that month of April, I had made enough money to pay off my seat, to pay off my, the money I borrowed from my mother from my trading account. I paid off my car. I paid off all my debt, but my mortgage. And I had six figures in my trading account and I was in business. So I knew that as a woman, that we have far more resources than anybody ever gives us credit for, that if we are going to take a risk, take a risk on yourself, value yourself. And I can't say it enough to women, even when it comes to a job interview, negotiate, 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 bet on you and fight for you. Because it's been my experience that you will have allies, but nobody is going to have your interest at heart the same way you do. Now, part of my motivation was I had two kiddos at home and those kids were going to eat and they were going to stay in that house and nobody was going to take that away from me. So I was willing to fight harder for myself than I may have as a single woman. 
but it doesn't matter what your motivation is. Fight for you and fight for what you need is the, the advice I give women. So that started me on my career of thinking about money. And as I began to think about money, I began to think about money and, and working for me. Because I'm, in my household, my mother always said to me, we want to make money when we sleep. And as a little kid, it was like, what do you mean make money when you're sleeping? And she said, well, you make money when you sleep, when you save your money and you buy stocks that pay dividends. So as a little kid, I would go into the grocery store with mama and she would say to me, Carolyn, get the Tide. And I get the Tide off the shelf and she'd say, turn it over. What company makes Tide? And I'd look at it and I'd go, Procter & Gamble. And she'd say, that's right. And she'd say, does Procter & Gamble pay a dividend? And I always said, yes, because she had told me that we were making money as we slept with that Procter & Gamble dividend. So as a young child, I knew that by saving money and having it invested, it can grow and it can pay you money. And my goal became as a single mother, now that I had money, to become part of the investor class. Because prior to that, during my first marriage, my husband was the one that built up a 401k. My husband's name was on the title of the house. My husband's name was on the title of the car. I had my name on nothing but my driver's license. Not smart. And I had all this information about investing, but I wasn't doing it. And I, you know, and I trusted that I was in a relationship with somebody who would take care of me. Well, you know, I was Cinderella in the dustpan. There was no prince of me. <laughs> you were very fabulous looking Cinderella in your high heels, at least. <laughs> I, honey, I was really fabulous looking. And part of the reason I wear high heels is because when you're wearing high heels, I think business. This is about business. This is about money. It's a mindset. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's a I, I agree with you. Like when I when I dress well, um, it's a power stance. It's one of my power moves is to walk into the room and own it. Um that's how I do it. Um I love so much of what you said and um it makes me feel like that, I, I, you know, I, some of that movie has bad connotations, but that Wolf of Wall Street, how he built his empire. But um, I, I want to call you like the Fox of Wall Street because we're so fabulous. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the Silver Fox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love what you said about, um, you know, just owning it and getting in there. Did you ever have that moment where you just felt like, I can't do this? Or, or how do I educate myself on this? Because yeah. I know for me, when I got into the stock market, I was like, what are all these terms? Like, how do, how do I understand this? You know, one of the things, I was blonde, still am, it's platinum. But the, the bottom line is that I always look for people that were smarter than me. And uh, it has always been my goal not to be the smartest person in the room. I want to be talking to people that, that have something to say that can teach me. So when, it, when, when I started trading, I knew the first day that I went on the trading floor before I owned my seat that I needed a mentor. 
My mentor was a PhD in mathematics who became an incredibly successful trader. He, he, the guy was brilliant. He had never, ever mentored anybody. Uh, but when I found out about him and his background, I said, he's perfect for me because number one, he, he understands the business. He's become successful. And number two, because he was a professor at the University of Chicago teaching math, I knew he knew how to teach. So I stalked him. And finally, I, I found somebody to introduce me to him. And I went and when I met him, I said, I know how busy you are. Can I talk to you after the market closes? And because he was busy, he said, yes. And so I said to his clerk, where's his office? And I went up to his office after the close and I sat in it, down in a chair and he came past me and he was like surprised to see me. Uh, and he made me wait for two hours and everybody had left. But I was sitting in their chair because I needed a mentor. And when he came out and he saw me sitting there, he was like, oh, this is going to be a problem. I love that because it, it shows not only that you're willing to learn on your own, but you're willing to do whatever it takes with your time, your education, your money um, to become successful. And I think that is it, it's the grit and gumption that you were talking about earlier in stilettos, which I love. And I think it's um, tenacity, you know, that holding on. Right. And, and because I sat there and I waited and I got a chance to talk to him and I wouldn't shut up till I got yes. And he mentored me because he wanted to go home. He said, you come back tomorrow morning. And he told me I had to be there by 6 a.m. And I had two kids at home. And I had no living help anymore. I couldn't afford it because I'd filed for divorce. But I had a mother who I called up and I said, Ma, I got a prop coming over. She, she moved in with me. I was there at 6 a.m. And and so it, it was the fact that I when it comes to investing, it comes to any job, you find those mentors, you find people that know more about you, whatever they're telling you that you don't understand, you take a note, you look it up, you get that information, you come back with questions. People are anxious to share their knowledge. Not enough people talk to experts and say, can you help me understand that? If they're an expert in something, they love it. They want to tell you about it. Right. And as a as knowing that this guy was a teacher, that was you were playing chess while all of those other jerks were playing checkers, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Well, as a woman, you have, you know, we have to use what we have and we have to think it through. And um, and, you know, I, I my goal was to become successful. And I was going to, you know, I knew I could always marry well. It doesn't take a lot, <laughs> you know, but I wanted to be able to take care of me. I didn't want somebody taking care of me. And so, I, it, you know, I had to become real good at being independent, standing up for myself, taking care of myself and owning what I didn't know so that I could grow well. So you're right. The terms are confounding. That's why we have Google. Right, right. So that actually, we, we opened this with some pretty tough stats. Moss mentioned that, you know, women only own 32 cents to the dollar, which again, that's the wealth gap that we're talking about. It's the money that's working for you overnight. It's the stuff for the hard times. So I wanted to just hear, you know, you've shared some of the challenges that you've already heard that you experienced that you saw. 
Um, but what are some of the opportunities unique to women? And I think you kind of outlined a few of them, which are, you know, you've got to think strategically. Um, but what else would you tell women who are kind of in a tough spot right now, um, specifically because the pandemic has really hit women hard? Well, one of the things I'll tell women, I would say to women is that we do, we suffer the pay gap, we suffer the wealth gap. If you are a minority woman, uh, brown, black, Asian, you suffer that the gap in the perception and uh, the, the unconscious biases that exist. That being said, as women, we have so many more resources within, within us because from the time we're very little, we, we overcome challenges because men aren't told that isn't for you. Women are told a lot of things aren't for you. But doesn't mean we don't want to do them. So we we begin to figure our way around the obstacles. Uh, one of the things I would say to women that's so important is that because women have what I call a care network, and a care network is those people that you feel emotionally and financially responsible for, we will make decisions to our disadvantage based on our care network. And that is the absolutely wrong thing to be doing. You know how you get on the airplane and they tell you in case of emergency, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. Women have to put the oxygen mask on themselves first because if we don't, we can't in an emergency take care of anybody because we don't have the air to breathe. So when it comes to women and their careers and money, women have to think strategically about staying in the game. The data says that women three times through their career exit the workforce. That penalty for exiting the workforce in terms of dollars left on the table is a half a million dollars. Women cannot leave the workforce. You cannot step away. Now, where does that money come from? Well, that half a million dollars. It comes from you're not putting money in the 401k during that period. Most women aren't. They're not earning money. They're not paying into Social Security. Their payment when they retire is lower in Social Security. And they aren't continuing to put money aside in safety nets or other investments. Also, when they go into the uh, workforce, again, they are not hired at the same level. So they are dinged. So when and, and during this pandemic and the number of women leaving the workforce, because and I understand it, I know how hard it is to be a working mom, to have kids at home that you're homeschooling. All these things on them are, are overwhelming, but you are really, really, in the end, you're going to hurt yourself. And you're starting off each time you leave the workforce further back. And so my, the, the only advice, uh, well, I have lots of advice, but the advice I would say is stay in the game. Do not exit no matter how much it feels like I can't do this anymore. Don't do it to yourself. We outlive men by five to seven years. We need more money and none of us can count on somebody else taking care of us. You know, that's something my father said in the very beginning um, when I wanted to go to college, I wanted to become a dancer. That was my first love. And he said, you know, I have no problems with you dancing, but choose a profession that you can take care of yourself in. And then, you know, if you want to go back and do dancing again, go do it. But he had, he had told me from a very early age that he didn't want me to have to rely on anyone, um, let alone a man. And that's always 
you know, that's always, always stuck with me. You know, when, when you think about um, all the things that women have to do, especially in this day and age, I feel like credit card debt is such a thing that a lot of women will start to pay that off instead of putting it in savings, instead of putting it in their 401k. Um, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, where should they make the biggest impact? Is it saving it? Is it credit card debt? What do you do? Well, I will tell you that over your lifetime, if you have low credit scores, you will be dinged $200,000 over your lifetime. So getting and building a high credit score is paramount. So, so I would say to anybody that's that's looking to begin to build wealth, that you pay down credit card debt because of you want that credit score to begin to rise. Because if you want to buy a house, if you need a loan on a car, you want lower interest rates, you will only get that with a good credit score. So uh, you don't want to be dinged over your lifetime that 200000 any more than you want to be ding that hundred five hundred thousand because you left the workforce three times. That's so true. And actually, I have to say, I I had like one of my proudest, nerdiest moments of my entire life when we were going to buy our house. And I've been working on my credit score forever. Like it has been just something that I'm like, I just really want to get over eight hundred. Just let me just get over eight hundred. So my husband and I applied for our home loan and. <laughs> the woman who was like in charge of our mortgage was like, oh, this is a great credit score. And I was like, oh, my God, can you say that again? And can I record it? Because I am so proud. <laughs> um, but she was like very excited about it. You know, interest rates for homes are very low right now. Um, and you're, if 200000 over the life of a mortgage is insane. That it, it could be way more than that, too. Yeah. And uh, right. And and so, you know, these are things that you can do that put you ahead of the game, you know, and we know that the uh, that most people in the past built wealth through homeownership. And and interestingly enough, that uh, in 2005 and six, the number of women that had mortgages with excellent credit scores that were funneled into subprime mortgages was much greater than men. And it was because the women didn't know how valuable they were. They didn't understand the right questions to ask. And lenders are predatory. Oh my gosh, that's so terrible. And so women in 2008 that had great credit going into the recession lost houses, not because they didn't have the right credit score, but because they were put into predatory lending products that they couldn't afford. And this was because somebody made more money on their naiveness. So again, you have to you have to do your homework. You have to have the right questions. You have to ask other people that have gone through the process. You have to get your information. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that. Moss, go ahead. I'm like, I'm incredulous. No, I, I can believe it. It's the same thing when you go to buy a car. I remember I, you know, my first BMW I went and, you know, he wasn't going to bargain with me. I went back with a friend, a college friend, and all of a sudden it was $5,000 less. And, you know, I mean, it, it was incredible to me, you know, even the way they spoke to me, um, you know, granted, this was maybe 20 years ago, but still, it, it wasn't a great feeling. Um, so I think education is really important. And so the next time I went, I did all my research on the financing options and all of that kind of stuff. And 
then when I was able to ask extremely intelligent questions, their attitude completely changed. You know, now it just came. It's so true. And Moss, you were saying, what are some th- some other things you could do? So, um, Carolyn, you said make sure you're educated. So um, yeah. make sure you have a great credit score. Is there anything else that are it's kind of like it's almost a give me Definitely. to you. But for somebody just starting out on this investment and finance journey, um, what should they be considering? Well, I will tell you that for every dollar, for every single dollar you invest in financial education for yourself, you will get a $7 return once you begin thinking about investing. So whether it's taking courses, whether it's finding a financial coach, whatever you're doing, the money you spend is some of the best money you'll ever spend because of the reward and the confidence one gets, the more educated we are about a subject. And, uh, and just like you ladies put small sums initially into the Schwab account, and Moss, you put money into an account, uh, and, you, and you've had some success that builds confidence. Well, this is also part of your educational program. Uh, Now, we know that markets go up and markets go down. So the the bottom line is that you want to always be thinking of exit points also in stocks. You know, things don't stay in the sky forever. um, And and you want to have, I, I call money bullets. You want to have bullets, ammunition. So when markets begin to trend down, that if there is a stock that you just bought because oh, I, I think it's going to really do something and but you're but you're not convinced that this is a long term holding figure out exit points figure out where you want to get out. Also, if you're an investor, you want to use stop loss orders. And that doesn't mean you actually have a loss in that investment. It means that if a stock is trading at 100, you may decide that, okay, if it goes down three points, I want to have a sell order in because I want to preserve the rest of the money I've made. So I, I put stop orders in all the time. And I move my stop orders up as stocks go up. So that during and and sometimes I get stopped out of stacks that I I get upset, you know, but you can always buy them back. And uh, but I've done that throughout my investment career. It has saved me a lot of money because that stop order is not an emotional decision. It's very hard when when markets are going down, I, I call it trying to grab a falling knife. Uh, that emotionally, you know, if you're trying to get out and it's falling, you're going to hurt yourself because you're not making a decision based on the logic. You're ma- making it on the gut and your gut is telling you stop the pain. And so I use stop orders all the time. So if you're an investor, think about a certain point and all your stocks, whether it's 5% below where they are, 10%, wherever it is, just have it in. I think that's so smart. And I love what you said about the emotional part, because everyone says women are super emotional. But I think what you also said before is being having a strategy. So not being emotional, having a strategy, then I think really sets you up um, to think holistically about your wealth and how you're going to get there. So I think really valuable piece of advice that you've just given us. And, and, and the other thing is that women outperform men as investors. 
Yes, we do. And part of it is because women don't go after the next shiny thing. Women think differently about their investments where guys will talk to their buddy and, oh, I just bought Tesla. And the guy will look it up and go, oh, I better buy Tesla or, you know, Bitcoin. I'm in Bitcoin. And the the dude says, oh, you're in Bitcoin. Well, I got to get into Bitcoin. Women are going Bitcoin. What's Bitcoin? (laughs) You know? I love that. Um, and I think we've given us so much advice here and so many great solutions. And so I, I'm not even going to bother going through the rigmarole of questions I had because you've answered all of them naturally. But I think one thing that I do want to leave listeners with, with every guest that we bring on is like, what is a final word of wisdom that you either were given before or that you give to other people um, that you think is, you know, really revolutionary in helping you think through your investment strategy. That makes me pause to think. Um, I I think that my uh, best advice is that uh, don't make investment decisions based on any fear. Do not operate out of fear because you won't make the best decision for yourself. And when it comes to investments, if you're if there's something inside of you that's making you uncomfortable, whether it's purchasing a house, a car, a stock, whatever it is, if you have a level of discomfort with it and you, it's you're feeling a, a certain sense of anxiety, don't do it. Think about it. You revisit it. You can always change your mind, but don't make it while you are not confident of this is something that's right for me. Because every time I've made a decision because I'm of fear of missing out FOMO, uh, it's been the wrong decision. (laughs) I think that's really valuable advice. And um, Carolyn, I am just simply obsessed with you. (laughs) I raved about you. And I said, I know you girls are going to love Carolyn. You're going to absolutely love her. Um, So I, I knew you would, Moss. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I loved this conversation and I, I just think you've given us so much to think about and I hope our listeners too, if they're not investing, um, now's the time to start. And, and I think a lot of people just say like, I'll do it next month. I'll do it next month. But even if you can put $5 away, I think it does make a difference. Well, you know, and I go into colleges all the time and talk to college girls and I get, uh, women, uh, similar to your dad, what are you doing in Starbucks? Uh, but what they, what they what I've said to them is, you love Starbucks, buy the stock instead of the coffee. And it's interesting. They'll go in Robinhood, they'll buy one share of that, they'll buy a share, one share of Apple. But the thing is that over, after three or four years, they have four or five thousand in the stock market that they would never ever have if they hadn't bought one share at a time, and that they weren't feeling comfortable. Uh, in doing this. And so uh, I know that they've set up for the rest of their life a pattern that it's that I can do this and I can do it at my comfort level. And I don't have to be I don't have to be like the guys where I'm buying a chunk of stock. I can buy one, five, whatever the number of shares is. And that's okay. I think that's what I took away from our very first conversation over a year ago was you know, it, if you don't have to buy a hundred shares of something, you can just get started. And you're, you're absolutely right. My confidence, just becoming familiar with how to do a transaction. Yeah. Um, it didn't feel so risky. And to your point, I didn't have that fear hanging over me. Like, oh my gosh, did I just lose, you know, $5,000? Oh my gosh. 
Um, so I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate all of the knowledge that you've already instilled on us today. I, I hope our listeners were taking notes. <laughs> if you were walking while listening, go home and listen again. I promise you oh. will learn something. Um, but with that, I, I, again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for all of this. Um, I would love for Caitlin to take us to the inspiration section, which I feel like we're all kind of inspired already, but I mean, after a year of being in my sweatpants for every day of my life, I'm inspired to put on a pair of heels while I'm doing some of the the day to day now, for sure. Um, as far as investing inspiration, um, Carolyn's point about starting with education and really focusing on educating yourself in order to kind of improve your own understanding of investing is a great starting point. We'll make sure to link to Carolyn's business Diamond in the blog as a starting point for learning about how to improve your investment strategy. Um, I also follow a handful of financial feminist accounts on Instagram that make investing and saving money and advocating for yourself feel less intimidating. And it's also great to see them every once in a while when you're scrolling through kind of the mindless ads and like temptation to treat yourself to remind yourself that, okay, yeah, I can treat myself to a cute pair of shoes or, or whatever, but I can also treat myself by planning for the future. So um, some of those sites that I'm going to, or some of those accounts that I'll link to are the financial diet, her first hundred K mixed up money, broke millennial blog. Um, all of them are female focused, but give really great actionable advice to millennial women. The other thing that I want to um, to advise for our listeners is creating a budget that includes saving. Um, I'm in the process of saving for a wedding right now. And our initial budget was so bare bones and so, um, so unrealistic that within the first month we were like, I, I need to order in Grubhub just to feel like we're able to spend money on something other than the caterer or the florist. So creating something that's realistic and includes money for fun and includes kind of the finances to live the life you actually want to live day to day. Um, that's really kind of the core of how to set yourself up for success later. So Clever Girl Finance has a great blog on how to budget. We'll link that too in the blog. Um, and the last one is something that's really near and dear to my heart. If you're in a full-time salary position, negotiate every time you have the chance, every opportunity, um, use websites like Payscale or Glassdoor to evaluate where you stand relative to other women and other working professionals in your industry and in your role. It's really intimidating to stand up to your CFO and say, Hey, no, I, I, I deserve X amount more than what you're paying me right now. But I mean, like Carolyn said, if you're making choices about your finances based on FOMO, you've already missed out. You've already biffed it. Um, so we'll link a couple of resources to advocate for yourself and how to build up your confidence there too. But check that out on the blog. We will also link it in the show notes. So it's easy to click over to our site to see all of these great resources we talked about today. Awesome. Thanks, Caitlin. And thank you again, Carolyn, for joining us. I think I can speak for all of us and say we all think you're amazing and love you. Um, so thank you so much for your time. Uh, as Caitlin just mentioned, any resource that we've mentioned in this episode will be linked um, in our blog. 
And um, we want to hear from all of you. So if you'd like to share any comments, questions, feedback, or any thoughts you have or what you've learned from today's episode, you can follow and tag us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at We Are Overworked or at W Overworked on Twitter. We also always announce our latest um, episode updates when they're released on those social channels. So another resource for you to keep in touch with us. Um, and don't forget to subscribe to our channel, which is another way to get notified when we release our newest episodes. So thank you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.